Hey there, I'm Grace. And I'm Amelia. And welcome to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast, where we talk about getting started in real estate, scaling, and we give you the inside scoop about our day-to-days as full-time investors. Interested in learning how to double your cash flow without the headache of turning your property into a hospitality-based short-term rental? Introducing Midterm Rentals. Register for our self-guided Midterm Rental Profit Academy course, where we walk you through step-by-step how to identify, analyze, furnish, market, and self-manage a midterm rental. Sign up at womeninvestinrealestate.com slash mtrprofitacademy and use code podcast for $50 off today. Welcome today. We're going to talk about our very first midterm rentals. So we are going to cover how we set up our first midterm rentals and how we started managing our first midterm rentals. Yeah. So Amelia, last episode, you said you're at almost at your one year anniversary of your very first midterm rental. Tell me about why you decided to do it and just how the heck that went. Yeah. So my first ever midterm rental was in an 11 unit apartment building that's located about five minutes outside of downtown Des Moines, Iowa. And I had seen a few people on Instagram doing the midterm rental thing. And so I was looking for ways to increase the cash flow on this brand new property that we were Mm -hmm. going to be purchasing. So before we had even purchased the property, I bought it with partners. We decided we were going to try the midterm rental strategy out and we were going to start by converting one of the units into a midterm rental to see how it went. Which was a studio. Yes. So they, it is an 11 unit building and they are all studio apartments that have pretty much the exact same layout, a really small bathroom, a really small kitchen. And then yeah, like this, the living room bedroom area. So I was like, this is going to be perfect for a midterm rental Mm -hmm. because they don't need a lot of space. I can keep it, you know, I can keep the furnishing costs down. It's super close to all the downtown hospitals. And it's going to be, I think a little bit harder to find like a quality long-term tenant in these units because Mm -hmm. of the size. Like there aren't many people that are looking for such a small space long-term, but it makes sense perfectly for like midterm. And this one was Cat Lady, right? This, that unit? This, no, (laughs) that was my second ever. Oh, okay. So was this one a lot of rehab? I can't remember. So we actually, yeah. So when we purchased the building, we knew that there were two vacant units for sure that like didn't have anyone living in them. The third unit was Cat Lady, She was supposedly like a tenant, but that's a story for another time. So we, yeah, we had basically three vacancies unbeknownst to us. We thought we only had two. So we were like, (laughs) okay, we'll like convert one. And then if that works well, like we'll convert Mm -hmm. the second. And yes, this one did need a significant amount of rehab. I would say like the kitchen got gutted and the bathroom got gutted. However, when we purchased it, the property management that was managing it prior apparently thought it was move-in ready, but <laughs> it needed gut. <laughs> that was the same. Yeah. Our entire eight unit, we gutted like half of them, but they were move-in ready. The thing with midterm rental though, is even though you were going to gut them, you were going to gut them for a long-term tenant or a midterm tenant. Cause it's the same rehab. That's what's so nice about midterm rentals. Exactly. Yep. It was going to need to be rehabbed either way. The only real additional cost was the cost of the furniture, which is another fun story. Actually, I had seen someone post on Facebook marketplace that like they were moving and selling like a ton of their furniture and their style was really cute, like leather sofa, like the black metal bed frame, like just really cute. So I basically 
reached out to them and was like, hey, can I like buy all (laughs) your furniture for like a bulk price? And so, yeah, I got ended up getting like most of like all the big furniture from them. I think I paid like around 22 to 2500 for like the bulk furniture and then like the littler stuff probably spent like another $800. So like I ended up furnishing the unit, I think for around like $3,000. After I got it furnished, I listed it on Furnish Finder. And I think like that day or the next day, I got an inquiry from a, actually my first ever traveling tenant was a guy, which is unusual because we were talking in the previous episode that most of our tenants are nurses or are female nurses, but this was a guy and he was working for a, he was working as an in-house nurse at a large tech company that's building warehouses in the Des Moines area. And so his contract was actually for an unlimited period of time. Like he didn't know how long he was going to be in the unit. So I signed the lease with him. It was great. I think so. I signed the lease with him and he actually paid me through PayPal, which is not normally how I do it. But if, you know, for the sake of being honest, like he was paying me through our business PayPal account. And he ended up being there for, I think, six months. But the funny story is when he went to leave, he just (laughs) sent me a text and said, hey, I cleaned the apartment and I'm out. And I was just like, uh, what? Like, okay. Like, but I, it's like not even worth my time to like fight that. Well, you technically owe me rent, but he didn't ask for his deposit back, which I wasn't going to give him because he didn't give me any sort of notice. It's just like, oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. Like, let me know if you're ever back in town. Like I'd be super happy Mm -hmm. to like house you again. Cause he was a great tenant. So like, Mm -hmm. that's how that ended. And then very shortly after that, I found like another tenant, no problem, but that's how it went with my first ever midterm rental tenant. So how long was the vacancy on that? Between when he moved out and the next person, Mm -hmm. like maybe a week. That's impressive because I would say my units built very quickly. The one caveat is if somebody's contract gets canceled, they move out like two days later, which has happened to me twice. And then it usually does take, yeah, it usually does take a week or two to get somebody because what happens is if people don't find anything, they get a hotel for like two weeks and then they're locked into that and they don't want to pay double. So I, I feel like the sweet spot is like three weeks out is when you can really get people lined up, but less than that, especially when people cancel, it it can be tough just because everybody already has their accommodations. Yeah. That being said, I've done two things to combat that, which one was your idea where I'm pretty sure didn't you tell people like, Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks. If you find a fellow travel nurse that you work with who wants to move in. So I've offered that before. I've never paid it because I've never had anybody. I have had a million referrals, but it's always when stuff's full. It's never been when I needed it. Uh And then the other thing I do is in my contracts, I say, if your contract gets canceled, you're simply on the hook for the rent until I find somebody. And I'm, and people, always ask and I tell them it's not going to be more than two weeks so you're not going to pay three months of rent like more than likely it's going to be a week maybe two worst case scenario three weeks of rent but you get out of your contract and I try to find someone ASAP to take over your lease and I feel like that's a very fair um, 100% that just happened to me a hotel would not give any money back nope so yeah I had someone whose contract just got canceled they moved out yesterday, but they're paying through the end of the month, a couple of days short of the end of the month, just because mm-hmm. that's when I found the next person to take their place. And I think I maybe have a little bit more 
of spacing between my tenants because I think there's more competition in the Des Moines market. But the next person that I found actually, and I'm sharing this because I think it's like, it's important to like, just hear the background of how we find these tenants. This woman exactly was, she was staying in a hotel for the first part of her contract and she had extended her contract for another three months and she was tired of living out of a hotel. Mm -hmm. And so she booked with me and I actually ended up getting a referral from her for another tenant. So like, that's perfect. It's just fun how it like just all kind of falls into place. To me, it's like a puzzle of like, how can you line up all of your midterm rentals so there's minimal vacancy, but Mm -hmm. also you are optimizing on the tenant side, their contract, so they're not paying for a bunch of days that they're not there. I've had a ton of requests from people, like you said, who are in a hotel, they see that I have something pop up, but a lot of the times I don't accept them because they're only there for three months. Maybe they've already been in a hotel for a month and then they want two months with me. And I try to go for three months minimum. And because yeah, of the Grace demand, is a strict landlord. She is, man, she's getting those long-term leases, those three-month leases. And heck, she's, yeah. she waits it out for those three I months. I do. I will yeah. wait. Like, I just got a pretty good request on Airbnb for like two weeks. And on Airbnb for my short-term stays, I have the price a lot higher because I don't want to be a short-term rental host. But if I get a random request that's going to make me a ton more money, I'll do it. However, there was like four days vacancy between when my midterm rental moved out and they were going to move in. So I literally went through all the math of like, if I accept this request, but I take on the four days of vacancy, (laughs) what do I actually net? Because I get a higher net because it's a, a better nightly rate, but then I have to take into that extra vacancy. And I ended up just, I told them, Hey, this has to be three months. Sorry. And I didn't accept it. (laughs) I was like, I'll hold out for a midterm rental tenant because I just don't want that extra work. But you're right. I totally do the math and I'm trying to maximize everything out here. I love that. I am not that strict, but I probably should be. Now that I've heard you talk about that more, I definitely have changed. Like before I had, I think a minimum of a 30 day stay, like on Mm -hmm. my Airbnb listings. But since I heard you talk about it, I've changed it to 90 day stays. I'm just like, if I get someone at that, I get someone at that. And if not, I'll find somebody on furnishment or whatever. So, and I have had a few people who are less than 90 days because they came and took over somebody who had to cancel. So I've had, I had one lady for just 30 days because somebody was living there. It got canceled and she was willing to move in literally the next day, but only for 30 days. So for me, I was like, as long as it's longer than like two or three weeks, so I can line up the person behind her, I'm good. And then I had another one who also stayed for only like 30 or 40 days because that lady also canceled and she was willing to move in the very next day. So I will bend to the number one thing for me is vacancy. I just want minimum vacancy because that's what dictates. That's what cuts into your profits. Yeah, that's does exactly. That is what controls your bottom line. But my very first tenant for me, she actually is still there. She's moving out next week. She (gasps) was there since December. So eight months And she extended till September, but it got, oh, she had to have surgery. So she gave me a 30 day notice. Otherwise, I think she would have quite literally been there for almost a year. Yeah, because I think they can, they can be in one place up to a year to technically still qualify for travel pay. I think she was there for literally a year or um, eight months to the day. So she moves out next week. She's been 
great. My first tenant, she has been a bit picky about neighbors and stuff, but I just remind myself that I haven't had to do any turnovers for her. So I try to be very accommodating, but that has been great. I feel like I've had really good luck with people who have stayed and continued to extend. And I feel like the reason for that is because I'd make sure that my units are are nice. I don't go over the top. They don't have a bunch of extra amenities, but they have what you need and they're cute and they're clean. And I feel like in my area, there isn't a lot of that. So when they find a place that they like, they're willing to extend. So I've had like, I would say most of my tenants extend. I have also had a few cancellations. So maybe it's evened out, but I always just make sure when I'm about a month out from their lease ending, I ask them, hey, are you planning to extend? And because I don't want to do a turnover if I don't have to. Exactly. It's like the same concept with long-term tenants. Like you want to minimize turnovers as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So did you find this tenant on Furnish Finder? I did. And it's so funny because I remember like, The first time I did Furnish Finder, I called her. I talked to her on the phone for like 20 minutes, explained who I was and, (laughs) you know, trying to make her feel comfortable because we weren't going to meet because, you know, she's in California the week before she moves in. So we don't meet ever. And now I'm like, oh, if you ask too many questions or if your dates don't line up or any of this, I just don't reply because I have so many leads currently, knock on wood that I can be picky on who it is. And I'm just like, yeah, you're never going to meet me. I don't really want to meet you if we don't right. have to. Like, Keep I'll leave walk. you alone. Like, yeah. Yes. So yep. I'm really curious because I don't think we've talked about this in a long time, but what is like the long-term rent for one of those units? And then like, what are you getting for your yeah. midterm? So I started a midterm rental on two fourplexes I bought that are next door to each other. So you'll hear me refer to it as an eight unit. It's not, it's technically two fourplexes. One fourplex is one bedrooms and then one next to it is two bedrooms. For the one bedrooms, the long-term rent was like 525, which to me is crazy. It was under rented even as a long-term. And then I turned around and my plan was to initially rent them for 800 on midterm rental, which when you take in the extra cost of utilities and Wi-Fi, I'm like, that's not really even worth it. Maybe a little bit, but I rented that first one for 950 because I got on Furnish Finder and I saw what everybody else was doing. And I was like, okay, I need it at my price. Now I'm all the way up to 1100. So I've already, I've increased $300 a month since I first thought about doing midterm rental. So for those one ones, Long-term is 525 when I bought it because I inherited seven tenants. And then I list right now for 1100 and I do $50 a month pet rent. That being said, if I, if midterm rentals collapsed, I think that I could probably get seven or 800 for those units because they are really nice now. We've painted them, we've cleaned them all up. And then my two ones long-term was like 625 and I get 1400. That's amazing. I just yeah. love hearing those numbers. It's like mm-hmm. investing in real estate provide so many opportunities to be creative with Mm -hmm. the properties that you already have or new properties that you're purchasing. But I just love the midterm rental strategy for that reason. Speaking of being creative, those two fourplexes has one parking lot that can fit four cars. And one of the issues that I had with, remember when I said my first tenant was a bit picky, she was always complaining complaining to me about the parking. And so one creative idea I had is, you know what? I should make four legit parking spots and just share them between the two buildings and charge 20 bucks a month 
for the parking pass and everybody else has to park on the street because it seems like it's the hot commodity around here. Everybody wants <laughs> it. And just because it happens to be at that building, I yeah. really should charge for it. Make another hundred bucks a month. Like that makes a difference. And then the people who want to pay for it, get it. And the people who don't care about it don't have to pay for it. So yeah. I haven't done that, but maybe I will. And I can share my numbers too. I was just kind of going through them in my head because I haven't mm-hmm. thought about them in a long time, but when we bought the 11 unit property, we inherited a lot, you know, eight tenants or whatever. So some of the tenants have been in the property for 20 years, no lie, living in a small <laughs> studio apartment. The one tenant who's, you know, he's still there. He's been there for 17 years. He's like one of my favorite people. We get along really well. He's like my didn't, eyes and wait, ears. Didn't you go out to eat with him? Yeah. Yeah. I've taken him <laughs> out to dinner because he helps me like if I'm out of town or whatever, like he he keeps an eye on your eyes and ears. Yeah, he really is. And so rents range for my long-term tenants at that property. They range anywhere from the lowest is 675. But again, those people have been there for 20 years and I don't want those units to be vacant. I don't want to convert them right at the second to midterm rental. So like I'm okay keeping the rent low. Mm -hmm. So they pay 675 and then the highest amount that anyone's paying for a long-term unit there is 725, 720. So the the range is not that high. But my midterm rentals, I charge anywhere from 1100 if I'm in a pinch and I really need to put someone in there up to 1300 for like the slightly larger model the slightly more luxury studio <laughs> apartment is 1300 so that's almost literally double what a long-term tenant is paying mm-hmm. and the only added cost is the furnishings because the building is older so I'm paying all the water all the electric and oh, all true. the gas all the utilities there's internet that I cover now but I'm covering the utilities whether they're long-term or midterm so there's no added cost for me there which is actually really nice so that is nice yeah it's like literally double that makes a huge difference because for me and my eight unit I did have to bring on the utilities because they were metered separately for all the tenants so I had to make sure that that was in my numbers, that I was bringing those costs on and it still made sense to go midterm rental. So this is the craziest thing. And I haven't shared this with you yet, but I was looking through the numbers the other day from a year ago, like when we bought the property that we got from the previous owner, you know, they send spreadsheets and whatnot. Their average monthly income was around 4,500 in rent roll because they and? had vacancy and whatnot. And now and is. this month in July, it's like 12,500. <laughs> it's three X what it was. Crazy. So <laughs> just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. If you use the very simplified 1% rule, then mm-hmm. this property would be worth 1.2 million, <laughs> which it's yeah. not, but it could be someday. We bought it for 500,000 and it's definitely worth much more than that at this point. That's amazing. And it feels really good. And the thing to remember, if you're listening to this, is we didn't buy these units and these buildings knowing how good it was going to be midterm rental. We started with one, both of us did one at a time and creeped our way into it to where 
I now have them all of my eight units as midterm rentals and Amelia is still slowly doing one at a time. And the reason we did that is because we didn't know. We didn't know it was going to be so lucrative and it's just less risky when you do one at a time. So if it seems like such a great deal, just know that this was a risk for us and it took a lot of time and a lot of rehab and energy to get our buildings to this performance. Yes, absolutely. Like I said, I have no desire to get rid of any of my other long-term tenants at the moment, but as they organically move Mm -hmm. on, yes, I will be converting their units, but I'm in no hurry because to rehab and then furnish, it is extra work. And right now I'm just enjoying my summer. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's like, it's like dating. Dating is a winter sport, not a summer sport. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) That's how I feel about rehabbing properties. That's so true because we're drywalling right now in our very last unit that we're turning over and it will not dry because of the humidity. And I was just thinking, I am over rehabbing in the summer. This is a winter thing. I'm not (laughs) rehabbing during the summer because we can't paint. We can't drywall. We can't work because it's so humid, but I love it. That's going to be a new term. Rehabbing is a winter sport. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I'm going to be taking the summers off from here on out. (laughs) For sure. So if you are interested in learning more about midterm rentals, we have a couple of options for you. The first is we have a free starter guide on our website that covers the three most frequently asked questions that we get about midterm rentals. And the second option is our midterm rental profit Academy course. And you can actually find both of those on our website, www.womeninvestinrealestate.com. If you go to the main website, you'll be able to find them. I have no doubt we've got smart listeners. So thanks for tuning in everybody. Have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you loved today's episode, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out and join our community at womeninvestinrealestate.com and follow us on Instagram at wire with two eyes dot community.